And the number of hours people spend on Fubo today on a daily basis is 7.2 hours. That is a tremendous, that's a third of your day you have the Fubo platform on. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. I am actually on a short break at the moment, as you're hearing this anyway. So we're going to be dipping into the Sports Pro Events Vault and bringing you one of the more compelling interview sessions from 2021 so far. David Gandler, the co-founder and CEO of the fast-moving American digital streaming service Fubo TV, was one of the keynote speakers at the Sports Pro OTT Summit USA back in February, appearing in conversation with Sports Pro Managing Director Nick Meacham. And it was a fascinating discussion, offering plenty of insights about the potential direction of travel in digital sports media. It's been a successful period for Fubo TV. At the time of this interview, they just issued a record set of results for the last financial year. And if you take a peek at their latest set of reports for Q2 of 2021, you'll see that that good run has continued. A quick note, this session was recorded as part of a live streamed event. So there are a couple of moments where the sound quality just wavers a little but it's well worth persevering and it does pick up as we go. Heads up for all of you in the business or interested in the business of digital broadcasting. The Sports Pro OTT Summit is back from the 15th to the 18th of November. You'll find all the details as they emerge, as well as information about the Sports Pro OTT Awards and the Sports Pro OTT Series events that will be running over the next couple of months. That's all at sportspro-ott.com. Lots to look forward to in the event space and here on the podcast too. I'm going to be back with you next week, but I know the rest of the team will be manning the mics in my absence. Until then, I'll hand you over to Nick Meacham and David Gandler. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome David Gandler, of Food TV. David, great to have you and good to see you again. Yeah. It's uh, Look, it's... Uh, what you'd expect, uh, you know, we, we came out with our earnings yesterday. We had a solid 2020 fourth quarter, came in very strong. Net additions on the back of a very strong uh, sports schedule uh, was also solid uh, coming in at 92,000 uh, new customers. So feeling really good about that and answering a lot of questions uh, late last night and, uh, and this morning. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll dive into some of the numbers in a little bit, but we've got a very international audience. Fubo TV is one of the most talked about uh, broadcast media businesses um, in the wider media industry and of course also in the sports broadcast world which obviously this event is related most to but could you right. just sort of paint the picture like what is fubu tv today you guys have been going through incredible growth obviously with not just the numbers which we'll go into right. but what, what are the nuts and bolts like how many channels what are you guys delivering now for for, for viewers yeah um good question so fubo is a what i like to call is a sports first cable tv replacement service uh, you know, what that effectively means is we put more sports programming into the basic tier. Uh, and, you know, our, our slogan is come for the sports, stay for the entertainment. So we've got over 110 uh, channels in our basic pack. We have over 50,000 sporting events uh, on the platform, everything from, you know, high school football, uh, American football, all the way to the Olympics and the World Cup and the Super Bowl. So it's a pretty uh, wide breadth of sports programming. We have the largest, you know, football pack, American football package in the United States with 
all the NFL games as well as every uh, college football uh, league. So you've got, you know, all of that programming and obviously soccer is what, where, where our DNA is and, and we're extremely strong there as well. We also have the largest regional sports uh, network portfolio from all virtual services uh, in the United States. So for those who don't know, regional sports networks, there's some requirements around the U.S. leagues where there's, uh, you know, geo, geo uh, fencing around uh, local programming. So we have local sports, which is if you're in New York, you would get the New York Knicks or the New York Rangers. And, you know, we have national sport, national games where, uh, you know, those would, would air on a national uh, network like uh, Turner or uh, NBC Network. And then we have out of market games. So if you live in New York and you want to follow the Golden State Warriors, you have to buy an out of market uh, package. Uh, and so even the technology around all of this uh, gets pretty, uh, you know, uh, pr pretty, uh, pretty difficult to handle. So it's a pretty complex uh, system that's really focused on geo-targeting and uh, over 40,000 zip codes. Uh, so that's sort of the, the, the key uh, basis for the programming. On top of our sports, we carry uh, incremental sports add-ons. So things like uh, Red Zone and other international sports programming. Uh, and then we also build out feature sets for sports fans. So we, the first to stream in 4K for live sports, I think we started with our uh, the 2018 World Cup. It was our first event uh, in 4K. And we're going to do about 100 events, I think, in 2021. Um, and then we also develop other features like uh, multi-view, uh, et cetera. So if you think about our service in the, in the vast sea of, of streaming services, you know, we are um, highly focused on uh, sports. Absolutely. Um, now, in terms of yesterday, you, you had the, the earnings report and come out and you've obviously been right. spending a lot of time answering questions, as, as, as you did say. Um, we've actually yep. got a slide to some of the, the highlight numbers you shared in the, uh, the key takeaways that we might just bring up now right. to, to get our audience clued in on. Um, yeah, for those that can see their home, there's a quite a number there. But what are some of the key highlights that you, you think are the ones that really stand out for you over the last quarter and, and also for 2020? Yeah. Well, as you know, 2020 uh, for the whole world was a very, very complicated year. Um, but for sports in particular, right, as you know, Q, Q1, Q2, uh, there were uh, effectively no sports on TV. So I think that we've done a great job uh, finishing up 2020. For me, the major highlight is one, the uh, 105 million uh, of revenue uh, in the fourth quarter. It was our first $100 million quarter. Um, and then just, you know, the, uh, the amount of subscribers that we continue to add during a, a very heavy sports season, which when you look at traditional uh, television uh, subscriber additions, most of them were negative. And then as you look at sort of uh, from, from those that actually provided uh, their numbers, you know, we, we actually outperformed everybody. So, um, you know, we had a very, very strong year, but it also uh, highlights the fact that maybe our business is slightly different than traditional television and virtual MVPDs similar to Fubo because we did were able to grow very quickly uh, on the back heels of a strong sports calendar, which was very similar to what you saw in the wagering space with the likes of some of the, the bigger uh, players in, in sports betting that had really solid fourth quarters. So I feel like our performance is probably closer uh, to the betting companies than it was to the uh, video companies. And that's probably, again, because of our sports focus that you know, I think that that's related to, and also our branding and positioning in the marketplace. Sure, and you talk about sports there. I mean, 
and you positioned the brand ever since you've launched Fubo TV as the sports yep. first broadcast proposition. Um, how do you quantify sports value to, to, to the platform itself? Because obviously the, the platform's now so expansive, there's yep. all these different channels in access. It's one part of a bigger pie. Do you feel that um, because of the sports focus, it allows you to attract a certain demographic and audience and really that, res that messaging really resonates and on the flip side of that, does it actually impact in some ways negatively to other other demographics that maybe aren't as in interested in sports as well? How do you how do you make sure that balance is right? Yeah, so that you're you're right. The key is finding the right balance, and we have been attempting, and we've done so successfully, to carve out um, you know an area of streaming where we think we can um, you know take a significant market share. Um, and so for us, really, it's about targeting the right demographic and sports programming is, I would say, relatively inelastic. Uh, you know, if you like Premier League football, you know, you're going to want to pay for it. If you like the NFL, you're going to want to pay for it. When you think about entertainment, it's a little bit different. In my opinion, uh, entertainment is more fungible. So you have a two hour time slot that you want to fill watching a TV show or a movie. So the question is, do you watch, you know, a James Bond movie or do you watch a, a Tom Cruise movie like Mission Impossible, which you'll probably get the same, uh, you know, entertainment value from either of those. You cannot do that. Sports is not fungible. If you like a specific event or you like a specific team, um, you know, you just can't go somewhere else. So the first thing is that I think one is it is, it's, it's less elastic. Uh, and then the second thing is we're amortizing sports over our whole base. Meaning that if you look at a traditional uh, television streaming uh, offer, typically you have some people that like sports, some people that like entertainment, some people that like news. On our platform, over 90% of our customers, in fact, during the heavy sports season, it, it's as high as 96% of consumers are watching sports on the platform. So, you know, we obviously are deriving more value from sporting events than, say, uh, a company that also has some sports. Uh, and is really general entertainment focus because maybe only 30 or 40% of their uh, customer base finds value uh, in sports. So for us, obviously it's more valuable. Uh, you know, we're able to extract more value uh, for, our, for our customers. And you know, on the other side, we're also, we also have an advertising business. So we have a subscription component and an advertising component. And you know, uh, in the fourth quarter, you know, we exceeded uh, $8.45. Uh, per customer per month. So it's a pretty solid number. And that's on a net basis. So that's after fees to like, you know, some of the third party uh, platforms like the trade desk. Um, but, you know, so for us, I think it's a, it's really a balancing act. And, you know, I think that there's probably a place in the world where, uh, you know, there's a, a more expensive streaming uh, package that has, you know, all the sports with entertainment, you know, uh, under one roof. And that's kind of what we have been gunning towards uh, here in the United States. And you, you talked a lot about sports and its inelastic value relative for, yep. for, for the consumer market. Um, but in a lot of instances, when I speak to rights holders and also some broadcasters, there is a bit of fear that the the opportunities and the, the um, access that particularly younger generations are having to different forms of entertainment, you know, the obvious ones being gaming, esports, social media, and TikTok and so forth, is cannibalizing that inelasticity, let's say, of the, the sports consumer. Do you, do you see any of that at all? Do you think that sports has 
lost its, I'd say, its position on top of the mantelpiece as the, as the, the lead, lead offer or lead proposition, or is it still very much you know, number one for, for, for the future? Yeah, so I think, first of all, not all sports are created equal. I think we know that. Uh, just like any uh, uh, product, right, you have s certain sports that are able to attract a significant uh, number of eyeballs, and you have other sports that are more niche. Um, but if we are talking about sort of the largest, um, you know, sports or leagues, uh, you know, in the world, then, you know, the, obviously the more distributed it is, the better. And that level of distribution uh, is very important. So, you know, in the United States, for instance, you have um, networks that are sub-licensing to uh, distributors. So, you know, in the, in the UK, you have Sky here, you have, uh, you know, companies like Fubo and Comcast, uh, you know, and Time Warner Cable, et cetera, Charter. So uh, it's fully distributed and that's why it's successful. I think if you try and, um, you know, put some of these events uh, or you close them off into a walled garden that doesn't have enough distribution, I think that's where you don't see enough marketing. Uh, and of course, if you're not, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's something that leagues are going to have to deal with uh, over the next few years because media companies are, you know, they want to build up their streaming services and, you know, they feel that they can use sports uh, to do that in the short term. But, you know, I, I do agree that um, as long as the leagues are well distributed, um, I think the actual price at which people are willing to pay will still be greater. Uh, and, um, you know, there's enough highlights and enough information out there for, for younger people to get excited about. Uh, I think the other thing is really about it's the format of games. I think some of that has to change as well. You know, some sports, uh, you know, are a little bit more outdated uh, and, you know, are too long. Uh, you know, if you think about the attention span of younger viewers, they, they just want to get the short version. Um, so that's something to deal with. But again, that's storytelling and narrative and making sure that, you know, uh, leagues and events are, are very well distributed. Are you in a position now with some of your broadcasting partners to relay some of that feedback, looking at the data that you guys are putting together? I think one of the, the points you referenced in a recent chat is you're producing something like 20 billion data points across a yep. month of, of, um, of insight into the audience. Are you sharing that with any of the sports properties and, and networks you are working with to, to give them sort of a guidance as to, to what they're doing? And, and do, do you think there needs to be some real revolution in how some of the major sports are being run to to make sure they don't lose people in the future. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, well, first of all, we haven't provided uh, that information yet. Um, you know, we're pretty transparent. We do provide uh, data, uh, uh, anonymized data, of course, uh, to broadcasters so they can insert advertising uh, into our platform. Uh, but in terms of work with the leagues, we have uh, not yet really reached out. Uh, you know, we had a very uh, uh, difficult year in 2020. Uh, as I said, for everybody. And, um, you know, now that we're, we're a New York listed uh, company and, you know, we've got a couple quarters under our belt, uh, I think we're going to start to open that data up and, and have uh, more discourse uh, with some of the leagues. Because we do, we do understand the viewership very well. We understand what properties are doing well. I'll give you one, one very good example. Um, the Super Bowl. I think there's been a lot of uh, noise around the fact that, you know, Super Bowl ratings are deteriorating. Um, frankly, we didn't see that. We saw an increase of uh, 84% uh, in terms of unique viewership. Uh, you know, per minute viewership was in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, 
So that's concurrent viewership, uh, which we also you know don't see on a per minute basis, which you know the game is you know about two hours long, so it's a pretty solid number. And then we saw total hours viewed uh, during the Super Bowl that includes pre and post game increases of like 94% or higher. So, um, you know, clearly there's uh, a lot of uh, excitement uh, about sports. And I also think that wagering uh, is all important component, uh, at least in the United States, from what I see uh, to sports, because it actually creates that level of engagement that, uh, you know, you see in games like Fortnite, where you can go out and buy a skin uh, or really sort of get a sense for like, um, you know, what's happening on the field. And I think People will stay engaged more often uh, as they have more, uh, quote unquote, skin in the game. So, um, you know, I think from that perspective, I think sports are, are in a good position. But, yes, we, you know, it's important for them to start looking at the data and really trying to understand, uh, you know, what the capabilities are and how they can sort of grow their positions. Sure. I think there's two things I really wanted to sort of jump into now is, is the gambling side, which you've sort of segued us nicely yep. into and also a little bit how you're integrating your advertising. But let's talk the gambling side of things yep. first. Now, obviously, you guys have made some investments or acquisitions with yep. uh, investments into Volto Sports and Victory. Could you tell us what what you are trying to? Could you paint a picture of what you're trying to build and how you're looking to integrate that into your TV platform? What that's what that's going to look like and how that's going to integrate for consumers? Yeah. So um, the two acquisitions are, are somewhat different, but they allow us to uh, sort of build towards the same ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is really to enhance the video viewing experience. It's what I was saying before about leagues. It's about what can we do uh, as, a, as a broadcasting platform to really enhance that experience and to drive additional revenue streams. Because you, know, you can't just raise prices in perpetuity. At some point, as I said, there's a price where you just can't afford it and that's that. Um, so you have to look at different revenue streams to uh, complement the, uh, the subscription uh, business. Um, so, you know, for us, you know, Balto allows us to really focus on free-to-play games, uh, and the free-to-play free games will allow us to better understand, you know, types of games that people like to play. Uh, it will tell us on the types of sports, the types of plays, uh, the level of engagement, the impact on viewership, uh, the impact on advertising sales, right? Uh, so that and that also allows us to start leveraging the data and understanding how to build, uh, you know, machine learning algorithms to really surface the right plays or teams or players that you like throughout a week to kind of remind you, hey, you know, maybe you like Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo is not playing this week because Syria is off, but, you know, Portugal is playing and Cristiano is on Portugal. So, um, you know, is there ways for us to really sort of expose people to other uh, you know, events or games that they may not have watched because it's just something that they they didn't do on a regular basis. Uh, and what that does is that while we're building out our, our wagering capabilities, getting all of that data in will allow us to better understand what types of games, what types of plays. Do we build our own markets, uh, you know, within Fubo because we have a specific, uh, you know, user base that is looking for very specific uh, plays for, for, for potential parlays or other bets. So, uh, or prop betting, which is probably more important and more relevant for a service like ours. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we, we thought about in November. Uh, we're moving very quickly uh, on that front to sort of get something up and running. And as we said, we look to launch a free to play game somewhere around Q3. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our Fubo Sportsbook 
uh, somewhere around uh, Q4. And so in the interim, the idea with the free to play is that you could actually put that on, um, you know, across nationally. And that's important because it allows us to one, get people playing and really understand. And as, as we wagering side, we are, at least have a starting point to kind of move a little bit uh, quicker. Sure. And with the gambling side of things, the integration into the platform sounds like you're still well, not you know, several months away from from delivering that. But um, obviously, gambling isn't for everyone. I, you know, in the US, and, yeah. um, it's a new, new initiative. But again, state by state, there's obviously complexities around yeah. and regulation. You have to navigate. So how are you going to navigate that with the platform? What are you going to create a, a different experience from market to market that's fluid? Um, how, how do you personalize the, the user experience to make sure that you are serving them? If they love gambling, they want to get involved with that. They can, they can go for that. Have you already got that, those sort of initiatives in place to tackle that? Or is that something you're going to need to develop over the next six plus months? Yeah, so that, that's, that's exactly why uh, we had acquired Victory. One, they have um, a lot of experience uh, with um, the regulators uh, and regulation. Um, you know, uh, Scott Butera, who uh, comes along with Victory as part of the management team, was the um, president of MGM uh, Interactive Gaming and formerly the CEO of Foxwoods Casinos in Connecticut. So that that was obviously a very important um, uh, acquisition for us because it, it, there is a lot of regulatory tape and, um, you know, the requirements are complex and you need to navigate through there very quickly, which, again, we're already doing. And uh, we just closed on, uh, I think it was uh, Friday or Friday or Saturday uh, of last week. Um, so that that's something that we're focused on. But again, this is where the free-to-play games comes in because it's going to really you know, you're supposed to iterate. That's what we've done over the last five years. So we're going to launch a few things. We're going to test them out. We'll start to iterate. We'll, we'll see where we're getting traction. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of part of the process. And I think, um, you know, we still consider ourselves a startup. Uh, and that's kind of how we, we, we plan to, to move forward. It's just through uh, uh, iteration. And so on the wagering side, uh, again, it will launch state by state. Uh, we have our first market access deal in Iowa. Our goal is to uh, you know, secure two to three more uh, for 2021. That will allow us to take a measured and disciplined approach to understanding how we can, um, you know, leverage the synergies uh, between the two. And, you know, the more we look at this, the more excited we get. This, there's so many synergies that we see, synergies around marketing, right? Synergies around monetization, synergies around engagement uh, and retention. So, uh, again, this is sort of a, a learning experience, but, you know, just based on our track record, we learn very quickly. Uh, we iterate quickly. And the reason why we decided to acquire smaller companies is so that we can very quickly, uh, you know, bring them in without really uh, having to deal with some significant uh, integration risk, which, as you know, is always a problem, right? Integrating companies is difficult. You have, you know, cultural uh, you know, consequences, you have, uh, you know, different mentalities. And so for us, smaller teams that are, are like-minded allow us to sort of build off of that. So uh, that's sort of the game plan. With just one more question on the gambling side and, and yeah. the way the, the sports wagering. Um, with what you're trying to build with the sports book and, in, and how that's going to integrate, does that preclude you from doing deals that you would uh, potentially be able to do otherwise with other betting agencies and organizations to partner up to generate immediate revenues because you're looking, I guess, taking a different approach to it to a lot of what other broadcasters are. Why the decision, we talked about integration, is 
but I'm, I'm guessing you're leaving some money on the table in a short term by not, say, partnering up with some of the big books at the moment. Yeah, no, you're right. Look, first of all, we are, um, I would say, first, we do have deals with sports books today. Um, and, you know, uh, for Q1 and Q2, because we're not launching in Q1 and Q2. So it doesn't make sense for us not to do deals. And the reason why we're not worried about that is because we're going to offer an integrated service. So I think that that's going to create more value uh, for people. And, uh, you know, if you look at the last uh, Canby report, I think it was in, uh, out last year, um, you know, Canby claims that the average, uh, you know, sports better has four apps on their phone. So it's not a zero sum game, very similar to video. Uh, and we're looking for more of the casual fan. I think you mentioned, you know, not everyone's a better. Yeah, not everyone likes to bet, but you know, uh, you know, if you think about the Super Bowl or March Madness, or there are events that you know lots of people participate that don't normally participate. It's the same thing around uh, you know soccer, where you know there are people that don't watch soccer four years, uh, and then they watch the World Cup, right, or they watch the Women's World Cup. So, um, you know, I think that there's a, a place for us where we're enhancing video and really focus more on the casual gamer versus the whale. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done a bunch of surveys on the platform. 22% of those surveyed on Fubo uh, would be willing to place $100 a month, uh, you know, throughout the month uh, in bets. Uh, that's also a really good sign, given the fact that we really haven't done anything yet. Um, so, uh, and then also, just if you think about the incentives today that a lot of the books provide, it's all cash-based, which to me has very limited value because everybody's doing it. And I don't even know the value of one offer versus another. But, you know, being able to offer a video for free or, you know, a sports package for free or, you know, uh, extended highlight capabilities or 4K, we think that we can, again, create value that, uh, you know, has not been created yet uh, in a way that, you know, people just are thinking about but just don't know how to approach it. Sure. Okay. Look, there's some questions coming in from the audience. I thought it'd be best to, to check out uh, some of those and throw them your way before we move on to uh, the advertising side of things. But here's a question from John Warrington. Um, basically, he's asking, uh, how important is sports documentary programming to you, as it seems to be such a growing market? And has that reflected in any user engagement that you're, that you're seeing? Yeah, sports documentaries, um, you know, I would say in the grand scheme of things are very important. Uh, you know, as I, as I said in my opening comments, we like to say, come for the sports, stay for the entertainment. So, you know, you come in for a sports event and then it's the platform's job to uh, surface, you know, compelling content. And uh, I think Fubo has over 100 uh, sports documentaries on the platform. And uh, again, some of them you would never think of watching until it's been surfaced for you, uh, you know, on sailing or, or other sports where it's actually really, really interesting uh, stories and narratives that, um, you know, that people are inspired by. So uh, it does play an important role. Uh, obviously, it's not front and center um, for us, just given that the live nature of our programming. But certainly, uh, you know, we think that it rounds out our service very nicely. So another question from Christopher Harris is, what can you tell us about Fubo TV acquiring sports rights directly to have exclusive rights to, to games? Yeah, look, uh, I think that, um, you know, it's hard not to think about that because, um, you know, we do get approached uh, by rights holders. Um, you know, we have acquired, uh, hopefully you can see those people uh, in the background. That is just, I just want everyone to know that's not, 
it's not Big Brother. No one's watching. Just you know. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, look. You know, we we're going to be opportunistic. Uh, I've said that before. Um, and, uh, you know, as we continue to grow our base and we better understand, you know, what our customers are looking for, you know, I can see us, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, looking at rights, uh, on a regular basis. And, you know, at some point, you know, I think it'll make sense, especially given the fact that we want to enhance the viewing experience. Uh, and I think for sports rights holders, a partnership with us, you know, if I think long-term might actually be quite valuable because they would get access to data. Uh, you know, we would collaborate on, on, on other things uh, like wagering and really sort of uh, pushing, uh, you know, these leagues. And I think if you look historically what Fubo has done for soccer, international soccer in particular in the United States, I mean, we uh, market like no other streaming service in the United States. I mean, we market by game, we market by player, we market by league. Uh, and, you know, we have a whole creative department uh, within the marketing team. Everything is done in-house that we're very supportive of all of our partnerships. So, of course, nothing that we're doing at this moment, uh, but uh, obviously, you know, we, we have to keep one eye on that. Sure. Looking back at some of the numbers that you shared yesterday, um, obviously you had huge growth in, in revenues year on year with your subscription, which obviously was to be expected. Um, 260,000 net subscriber additions for the second half of, of last year, getting yep. up to 500 thousand um advertising also has grown it started to grow quite a lot for you yep. your background is in the ads game in programmatic in particular so naturally uh, you know advertising would be something that you would want to to lean on because right. of your background um but how do you how do you navigate that because a lot of subscription-based businesses um typically have quite a simple model there where they they don't have advertising available how do you make sure you navigate that because i think not to just to paint, I guess, a bit more of a picture. You saw a huge increase in content consumption um, over the last uh, quarter as well, over the last half of the year. Yes. So, how are you making sure that the ad experience is driving enough revenue for you to fill, to, to improve your margins, whilst not impacting you know, your consumers who are paying a, a pretty big premium for a subscription each month? Yeah, um, it's a very good question. I think the difference between our platform and other platforms is that we started with sports and uh, I don't think that you will ever have a sporting event that does not have sponsorships and advertising. And so when people come to Fubo to watch sports, it comes with ads and um, it makes it much more palatable to continue uh, to watch programming with ads. Now we have capabilities such as DVR. We now have a thousand hour DVR. We started with a free tier of 30 hours and then went to, to 250, 500. Now we have a thousand hour DVR. So people can actually, you know, record programming, uh, ad skip if they like, uh, that's up to them. There's also premium channels on FUBA that you can buy that don't have any advertising. So channels like uh, AMC Premiere or, um, you know, Showtime, Epics, Stars. So there's, there's ways in which that you can continue to watch. And, uh, you know, our goal is to be sort of the basic uh, streaming service that someone buys. And then on top of that, they would buy streaming services for $4 or $9 or $10, et cetera. So th think of this as sort of your uh, window uh, to video. That's how I look at it. And live TV still plays a very important role. Uh, about 90% of total viewership on Fubo is live. So, 
you know, if you think about Spotify music, um, you know, the uh, popularity of uh, Rap Caviar or some of these other uh, channels, these are curated linear uh, channels, if you will. Uh, and people sometimes just like a passive experience. They want to sit down and very quickly find the content that they like. But I don't, I don't see advertising as a huge issue. That's number one. Number two is that I think for most streaming services, let's take uh, you know, maybe Disney and um, you know, Netflix out of the equation, um, it's going to be very difficult to, um, you know, to monetize content just on a subscription basis. Because while sports content continues to increase in, in cost, you also see the uh, competition increase for high quality uh, you know, serialized television as well. And so um, if you think about television in the United States, you know, 60, 70 years ago, it all started with uh, three broadcast television networks, right? Um, and those were free to air uh, that were advertising based. And, uh, you know, 20, 30 years later, they wanted to get paid, paid in fees. And we pay affiliate fees for these broadcast channels that are not cheap. Um, and so, you know, if you take out the... Um, the advertising from the dual revenue model that they have, you know, you're looking at businesses that are, uh, you know, probably not very exciting uh, from a uh, from a profits perspective. So I do believe that most businesses will require both revenue streams. And because we are sports first, I think we are, uh, you know, better positioned uh, for consumers to, uh, I would I would say at least, you know, you know, keep it in a way that it just, it's palatable to them. Right. Um, yeah. but again, there are add-ons that you can buy that, that are, that are, um, ad free. So, so for your future outlook over the next year or a few years, um, you've obviously got this window of time where you've got, particularly on the shareholder perspective, you've got shareholders who are looking at the timeline of when the business is going to be uh, becoming profitable. Right. You're at the moment sharing the numbers of growth, which now is all about scale. But at the same time, you've got uh, the costs that are going out are, are hugely significant. There's a big gap in between those. What is the, firstly, what is the sort of timeline you would expect that you're going to sort of say, let's say, turn the turn the corner, so to speak, in terms of hitting the those numbers where you're at that break-even point and then and progressing into profit? And how important will be advertising and gambling to that or are they just two parts of the bigger pie? And it is really all about subscription. They just sort of not cream on the top, but they are just topping up the revenue streams that you need yeah. to, to the, the P&L. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you, Nick. That's a very, very good question. Um, look, the way I look at it, and I mentioned it in my, um, in my comments uh, yesterday, was that if you look at Fubo as a platform, we command a significant timeshare of a household's sort of monthly activity, right? The average uh, household right now spends about 127 hours, uh, that's average, uh, um, on Fubo in the, fourth, in the fourth quarter, okay? I anticipate that number will continue uh, to grow. So the number of hours uh, is growing and the number of hours people spend on Fubo today on a daily basis is 7.2 uh, hours. That is a tremendous, that's a third of your day you have the Fubo platform on. That is a very powerful thing. If you look at Roku's numbers, 
which is an amazing uh, platform, you know, they're averaging three and a half hours. So it just goes to show you how much time people are spending on the platform. So what does that really translate to when you think about uh, the economics of the business? So uh, yesterday I also mentioned that, uh, you know, the average customer spent about $754 for the year on Fubo, which includes $80, $80 plus of advertising revenue. So with the number of hours that we're able to, um, you know, command from our from the average household as we scale, you know, the question is, can you get to fifteen hundred dollars uh, per customer per year or two thousand dollars? And it's much easier to um, squeeze profits out of two thousand uh, dollars, you know, a year than if you're selling a four dollar product, you know, and you're getting call it forty, forty five dollars uh, per year. So I think we're in a very different league. And I think the more time that people spend on the platform, the more uh, revenue generating products you're going to see us launch. Remember, you, you mentioned 20 billion data points. We're collecting a lot of data uh, at the moment. And we can actually see as we build profiles, as we see who's betting, as we we can then start to understand what else we can provide uh, to consumers to sort of expand our relationship with them. Very similar to think about what an Amazon does or um, you know, an Apple does. It's all about ecosystem. I think that there's an ecosystem opportunity here that's built around sports. So uh, obviously subscription uh, revenue, number one for video. Number two is you have advertising revenue, which I think uh, already is at $80 per year. You know, the question is, can that get to 100 to $120 per year? And we're just getting started. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's uh, uh, achievable. Uh, and then the wagering, you know, just looking at some of the uh, information that's come out after some of these earnings calls, but, you know, $60 of, uh, you know, of monthly uh, ARPU, that's, that's a pretty good number that has a 50% uh, gross margin, you know, and 10%, um, you know, uh, EBITDA. I think that that's, to me, is very compelling. So, you know, my goal is to continue to uh, expand our base, to scale it out, uh, to own more and more share uh, of time in the household and continue to find ways in which that we can monetize our customers. Obviously, it has to make sense. You can't just throw any products in the mix. But um, I feel that between advertising and wagering, there's a very, very large opportunity. Uh, and if we continue to scale out um, and add more hours, you know, there could be more products that uh, you know, we'll look to sell. Commerce, for instance, is another area where I think is, is really compelling, where you, know, you, can, you can sell uh, you know, jerseys and uniforms. And in fact, you can even, you know, you're watching a football game, why not just press a button and get DoorDash to deliver uh, wings to your house for your party? So there's lots of things I think that we have to be very creative about. These are, this is very early uh, in the process. And I think the top line revenue right now is a focus for me because it does open up a lot of doors to us. That means we can acquire more content. We can optimize our content bundles, which, which you saw. And I think that the, our ability to actually increase our contribution margin, which effectively, uh, I think as of uh, uh, mid 2021 or end of 2021 will be our gross profit. Um, you know, that has really um, expanded over 2020. And just to remind everybody on this call, um, you know, we were negative margin. And I remember back in uh, January of 2020, people were telling me that this is a business that will always be negative margin. Okay. And here we are 
with not only positive contribution margin, but contribution margin that, you know, is up 1100 basis points, uh, you know, from the prior year. So I feel very good about where we are. Um, and I think that we have um, the right revenue streams. And I think the tailwinds are very strong. And, um, you know, we're building a product that is, is unique in the marketplace that already has really solid traction. So I think profits will come, cash flow will come. And there are companies like Netflix that have waited 25 years. Now, obviously, we're not Netflix and no one's expecting us. No one's expecting to wait 25 years. But, um, you know, we haven't really spent as much money. If you look at the, uh, the uh, level of expenditure on the wagering side or you look at the level of expenditure on the video side, I mean, we have been, uh, in my opinion, um, very, very efficient and very effective with our capital. Uh, I don't think anybody would say otherwise. Great stuff. Well, look, we're out of time. I want to ask just one real quick question before we go. And sorry for those that have come in that I haven't been able to get to. But what can we expect from other markets outside of the US for Fubo TV? You know, obviously we have big ambitions. Um, we, we wouldn't build a product if we thought it was just for the US. Uh, we're looking to expand internationally. We're having conversations all the time, uh, you know, and, uh, we, you know, the good news for us is that because we're building the US, there's no real set time frame where we have to launch uh, in Europe. But, you know, we're looking at Europe, we're looking at Southeast Asia, we're looking at the Middle East. Um, you know, we've been approached by a few groups and, uh, you know, we're, again, we're having conversations. And I think once we launch our uh, wagering product and our free to play games and that starts to go, I think, you know, probably 2022, we'll start to probably focus in a little bit closer on those opportunities. And by the way, we'll have the data that we need uh, to really understand, you know, how to, um, you know, onboard some of these countries. The other thing we'll be doing before uh, international is that, you know, we're continuing to invest in our tech stack uh, and we're doing it in a way that will allow us to very quickly uh, expand into other countries at a lower cost. So those are things we're already thinking about uh, without actually having to make a play uh, into a specific market. Great stuff, David. Well, I've uh, really enjoyed your time having you with us uh, today to kick off the event. Thanks very much. And uh, look forward to following the next steps. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a good one. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 